companies that are meaningful only are created because they first find real, true product market fit and then scale. If you can't sell your own product with the luxury of being the founder, nobody else can do it. That's what I'm saying. I'll be honest, I still don't fully believe you, but hey, we'll take your word for it. That's some royalty-free shit, people. That's what we do. We're back, and I'm I'm so excited for this conversation today. Um, not just because Ross is here, but hey, Ross. Hey, hey, great to be. But here. I think the the real exciting piece is neither one of us, but we've got Sahil here. Beyond thrilled to have you here and, and hear your perspectives. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me, Puyan. Good to good to catch up, Rossi. Good to see you. Um, yeah, I'm Sahil, uh, founder and CEO of Bravado. We are a professional network for salespeople. And our mission is to make salespeople smarter, happier, and richer. And, and then you forgot you to mention you're, you're my boss. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you got to know each other <laughs> a little bit. Isn't, huh? that, isn't that like kind of the big thing here? Uh, there's never, there's, I have never once, not one day, not one minute within one day ever felt like your boss in the time that I've known you. <laughs> but I certainly do feel like I report to you on a regular basis. Well, ba- you've babysat me before. Well, th- that worked, I can say, yeah. You've seen me cry. Also, <laughs> that's just because we hold each other. You know? yeah. How does it feel to not like to be in that position, but not have to do pipe reviews? I mean, you yeah. both have done a lot of them, right? And and, and maybe so. We actually that, that's a good entry point to to hearing more about your experience. But I want to hear the pipe reviews first. Like, do you miss that? I never did pipe reviews. I think in the way that a traditional sales leader did. I never really did anything traditional in sales, and that's why I think you know, for better or for worse, um, saw some outsized success in some, in, in some ways was because I just think that most of sales is contrived and most of what, the reason why sales managers do the things they do is because their boss did them, not because they actually think it's the right thing to do. That's because most people who are sales managers shouldn't be managers. So like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sludge in the system. Maybe you can just share your experience. Like how did you get into sales? Why yeah. did you get into sales? I, not that there is orthodoxy around sales because no one like grows up playing with their GI sales figure as a four-year-old, no. you know? So I went to school in DC um, in order to work in politics. And I worked on the Obama campaign from 2006 to 2009. You know, when you're, when you're 20 years old in college and you're managing 4,000 people, you learn a lot. The thing is, it, it kind of taught me how to objection handle. So when you're objection handling someone who thinks that, you know, someone's going to take away their gun or whatever, like you got to be real sensitive. You got to be, you got to be able to like be nimble on your feet. You can't be really pushy with them, whatnot. So that's where I learned to sell. And then I walked into B2B SaaS and all I saw around me were like blunt objects. Can can we pause there for a second? What do you mean walked into B2B SaaS? Yeah. So, uh, graduated college, was supposed to go work in the White House. My father fell ill. And so I couldn't be in DC. And I needed a job. And so what I knew what to do was, you know, phone, in person, whatever. Someone told me I should do sales. When I heard sales, what I heard was, you you know, you go to a mall and there's people trying to like sell you dead sea salt, like those Ahava kiosks or whatever. That is the example. That's what, no, but that's, that's not figurative. That's, that's actually what I thought. And I was like, you know, I don't know that that's what I want to do. And I was lucky that my career counselor's husband was a VP of sales at Oracle. And she was like, no, no, no. I mean, tech sales. And I was like, what's Wait, did you that? say Oracle? 
Yeah. I saw Ross get excited for a second there. No, that was, I threw up in my mouth. <laughs> I don't think that was excitement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and so she, she basically was like, no, I think you'd be really good at texting. I didn't know what to do. I didn't. And so I took one interview with this random company called Meltwater, which I know we'll get into. Um, yes, please. And so then there it was. Like I, I basically started a week later. Okay. So what was the vibe of the office when you walked in there? Like what, <laughs> what, what, what was this office? Where, where were you? I know Meltwater, they're like a, a plague. They're literally everywhere now. The office, so Meltwater has an interesting philosophy. They do what are known as like small pod offices. So they had 52 offices when I started. There were 1,000 employees when I started, 925 were salespeople. Wow, love that. Every single month, we had something called closing week, which was the last five days of the month. And every morning of closing week, one of the executives every morning would send this like 15 paragraph email trying to fire up the team. Now, the first time, you know, in uh, December 2008, January 2009, the first time you get this, you're like, well, this is really inspiring. Like the CEO, the, the, the VPs, the, the executives are like in the trenches with you. By the 26th month of going through closing week, and you're just seeing the same analogies and the same like contrived bullshit being spewed. It was, I mean, Meltwater was an amazing, it was like a beautiful tragedy. Grinders, straight grinder machine. Do you think that then led to, if you get called by somebody at Meltwater, you're just like, I'm just gonna answer because I know it's not gonna stop? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, in fact, I'll tell you what we did. Um, Meltwater had a really, in our office and in other offices as well, intentionally used these really old school phone systems. And the phones that we used had the ability to change the number manually to be any number to show up on caller ID. So I could literally make it look like your own cell phone was calling you. You just took it to a whole nother level. It's like, let me, let me pick the person. That's right. Yeah, that's probably illegal now. I mean, we, the, the funniest one was when you would make, when you would set the number just as the person's number. So it was like your own number calling you, like you have to answer, right? You're like, yeah. what is this? It's because it's you from the future, maybe telling you to invest in crypto. There is so much I want to, I want to unpack there. But one, one thing you said, and, and it's on your shirt now is bullshit. Mm. So I'd like to come to bullshit for a second. What, what's the, what's the biggest bullshit you feel like is being fed to sales reps? I think that the majority of companies don't deserve to have sales teams. Okay, tell me more. That, that to me is the biggest lie. The biggest lie is the majority of companies don't have product market fit, but instead of trying to build the right product that actually has product market fit, they just throw bodies at the problem and assume that by selling their shitty solution that they can find product market fit. So they hack their way to a few million dollars in revenue because you know you can brute force that. And then they go raise a large round of funding or a decently sized round of funding from an investor promising that the brute forced, you know, 2 million ARR will grow to 10 million by next year and 30 million by the year after and 100 million in five years. Oh yeah, dude, it'll, it'll scale. And Hell then, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then they go to, uh, sales reps and they say, look, we've already closed $2 million in revenue and we just raised a $20 million series A or series B or whatever. And now this thing's taking off and you know, your base is only a hundred, but your OT is 200. And if you hit plan, it'll be three. If you hit ex accelerators, it'll be 300 and reps come in and grind their ass off to try to 
hit quota and sell a product that doesn't have product market fit. So then what you do is you blame the reps for not hitting quota or not performing. Then you blame the sales managers for not being good at, at, at coaching people up. Then you blame the VP of sales for having the wrong strategy. So then you fire the reps, you fire the managers, you fire the VPs, you're hiring in new ones, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And eventually one of two things happens. Either you do figure it out, like you do actually build the right product or, and somehow you manage to find product market fit. Let's call that the 5% rule. And then there's a 95% rule, which is, you know, a bunch of reps who have eight to 10 months on their resume who are labeled as job hoppers, a bunch of VPs of sales that are forever traumatized. And so therefore they're like, you know, I'm never going to work for an early stage company again. Uh, People feeling like stock options are worthless and that this whole thing's a game and, you know, sales is mistreated and whatever. When in reality, the problem is you don't have a product with product market fit. Yes. Damn. It starts at the top. The overscale. The classic overscale. I love that you took the glasses off to just drop all that knowledge and just like <laughs> that's like that's the equivalent of the mic drop right there. It's like, wait a second, I'm blind. <laughs> you started your own company. You're investing in other companies. What how has that experience informed how you approach either investing in other companies, advising other companies? or building your own company? I never wanted to start a company. I basically spent 10 years in sales and then got an opportunity to move into product um, because I was the customer of a company that was building a product for salespeople. And I was actually one of their largest customers. And I kept complaining about a bunch of things that I thought were you know, obviously wrong with the way they were building the product. And the CEO and I became friends through my complaining. And basically he thought I had good instinct around product. And so he was like, why don't you come and I did some product marketing, worked on some product. You know, I also helped with sales because I love sales. It's my passion. I, I would, I would, I would sell for free and I just enjoy doing it. And I started realizing that the amount of professional resource that was around product, around design, around engineering was just completely absent in sales. My co-founder at Bravado, Yoni, was the chief data scientist at this at said company um, that I was working at called Sales Predict. And Yoni was teaching me R. And uh, I was having trouble with something. And so I, I basically was like having the syntax error when I was trying to query something. And, and so I, I was pinging him and he's like, you know, you can just Google it, right? And I was like, what do you mean you can just Google it? And so I like literally copy the error and paste it into Google and boom, here came this magical website called Stack Overflow that just like gives you the answer. And I was like, why doesn't this exist for sales? You know, why isn't there a way for me as a rep to be able to figure out how I should set up my cadences or for me as a sales manager to think about how I should do a better job doing pipe reviews or as a VP of sales, think about how I should be building comp plans. Like why doesn't, why don't salespeople work together in an intercompany way? Because we're all trying to do the same shit, right? We're all trying to call, email, close deals, renew, right? We're all doing the same things. I just didn't find it anywhere, you know? So I just decided to make it. But to answer your question specifically, which was, well, how is my experience of being on both sides? Uh, taught me, we have zero salespeople at Bravado. That's what it's taught me. And we will have zero salespeople at this company until I am 100, nay, 150% sure that we have absolute product market fit, that I know that what we are what we are selling is not only something that buyers want, but that they will repeatedly want. And I know what the TAM is and I know what the motion is. And only at that time will I uh, open the doors for us to, to actually hire salespeople. You've talked a lot about uh, commission 
and commission structures. And, and it's interesting hearing your thoughts here on, on, on your approach with product market fit and then sales. How do you factor in, let's say you do hire salespeople, or would you hire salespeople earlier to help maybe figure that out, but take commission out of it? Like, would you still consider that part of sales? No, I would not. Because that's not the job of a salesperson. The job of the product team is to figure out what is something that users need that they are willing to pay for. And then the job of the marketing team is to figure out a way to get people who haven't heard of this solution, but have this pain to come to your website and discover it. And the job of the salesperson is to take that demand and convert it into revenue. Now, once you have that funnel up and running, you earn the right to do outbound sales. You earn the right to then start cold calling and prospecting and whatnot. Companies that are meaningful only are created because they first find real, true product market fit and then scale. If you can't sell your own product with the luxury of being the founder, nobody else can do it. That's what I'm saying. Sales isn't something you can just kind of like layer in or add in. It's It's a core part of the company. And maybe you're not the best salesperson, but that's all right. But go through the motions, do it first. Speaking of which, and I know Ross has strong opinions on this, SDRs, who do they report to? First of all, I think the term SDR is too broad. I, I, I think that uh, it, it's, it's far, SDR means too many different things in too many different companies. So let's, let's first separate inbound versus outbound. So if you are an inbound SDR and your job is to take inbound leads that come in and qualify them in order to see if they're worth something or not, I'm more of the belief that that's a function of marketing to drive demand. So I think they sit there. But anything to do with outbound is sales and has to sit with sales. And I don't think that people who are qualifying inbound leads are SDRs. So I guess in a roundabout way, I'm saying they should report to sales. But I also know that when you say SDRs, you are counting, because most people do, inbound. And I don't understand why sales is responsible for qualifying marketing's job. Marketing has to qualify their own leads. And then you get into this really fun world, because then what happens is marketing can choose to to qualify a greater percentage of the leads than they should necessarily. They could choose to do that. They will. But then that's when you go, but then that's but then that's where you get to see actual conversion percentage come in. Those leads that come in through inbound that get qualified will go into the same pool as the ones that are outbounded. And then you'll just look at conversion percentage. So you'll be like, okay, well, uh, marketing generated 500 uh, qualified leads and sales generated 200. But the 500 leads that marketing generated only led to 10 closed deals for a million dollars, while the 200 that sales generated led to 50 closed deals for $5 million. So as it turns out, marketing is one-fifth as effective, even if they're getting 2.5 times the volume. But like that, that, that can't be done today because there's so much friction around this like qualification process. So you just like split call. I think that's what I would do. Yeah, get out those frosty kombuchas and get to qualifying. Thanks for joining, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Cool. Puyan, great to, great to uh, be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, Ross, always a pleasure. Puyan,